Well, good morning, dear church family. It's a great and wonderful feeling to come home. Two days ago, when I and Paul were roaming around Kurenbong, Paul said, Dad, I feel like kissing the walls of Avondale Memorial Church. Uh, because we miss this place so much. Uh, since we left for Melbourne, I came once for the pastor's conference uh, in February, and uh, uh, I'll be honest with you, my heart was breaking up because this is such, uh, such a lovely, wonderful place of God. Uh, this is the Adventist town, the Adventist village, with a great history. And right in the heart of the history of Kurenbong and the greater Lake Macquarie community lays Avondale Memorial Church. This place that's been here now for a long time, more than a century, molded the culture of this place, served the community so faithfully, helped not thousands, but tens of thousands of people who lived here. Uh, the great uh, economical structures like the Sanitarium Food Company, Avondale College, uh, Avondale Retirement Village and others, they contributed tremendously to the well-being and the economical prosperity of this place. The airport, the lands, the new developments, many of these things uh, owe themselves to the presence of Seventh-day Adventist Christians in this part of Australia. Could we say praise the Lord for that? We praise the Lord. And uh, Melbourne is a great challenge. And I and Helen, we praise God for giving us two lovely churches. One of them is called Pakenham Seventh-day Adventist Church. And because one of my bishops is here, Pastor Greg Gillis, thank you very much for those presents that you gave us a year ago. It's a beautiful church. It's not a big church. It has 164 members with the attendance of about 180 people, lots of children. We have six children's Sabbath school classes, one teens class and one youth, and several uh, adult uh, Sabbath school classes. Wonderful people, and they're supporting us so well in uh, the mission outreach that we do. They travel with us uh, regardless of distance. Geelong, 140 kilometers from Bagenham. Mornington Peninsula, 80 kilometers. Wherever we go, the 20, 30, 40 church members go help us letterbox the handbills, distribute the invitations, and participate in the mission work of the church. Uh, the church is beautiful. It sits on a lake. It's a new building which uh, was dedicated just uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, and if you open the windows... There are beautiful fountains on the lake, and you can gaze at the most picturesque place uh, in all of Melbourne. So it's a great place to be. Uh, the other church is a new church plant, which is a year and a half old. Uh, it's unique in its, uh, uh, in its ethnicity. Uh, Two-thirds are from Samoa, and one-third are Italians. Uh, it's a unique blend of nationalities. Can you imagine a church which is two-thirds Samoan and one-third Italian? Uh, but it's, it's beautiful. They like uh, and love their young people. Uh, two Sabbaths ago, we uh, ordained two uh, new uh, elders in that church, and I had the biggest children's dedication in my whole life. We had to dedicate 13 children on one day. Uh, because they have so many kids. And uh, we also dedicated 20 uh, young men and women who wanted to be uh, junior deacons and de deaconesses. So they emphasize and pay a lot of attention to, to the development of young people. So those two churches are the backbone of the great work uh, that is advancing in that wonderful megapolis. I also can't avoid 
the words of thankfulness and gratitude to the new pastoral team at Avondale Memorial Church. Pastor Abel Ergolescu is a very gifted young preacher, uh, very vibrant, uh, an excellent administrator. And I want to thank the Magaitis family for their great and noble work. Uh, all the feedback that I've been receiving in the past nine months is just admiration and thanks. Uh, for the people who are so wholeheartedly and unreservedly dedicated to serving the community of faith in this church. So, Pastor Abel, thank you very much indeed for your great work. We thank the entire leadership team uh, uh, for what you've done so far. It's so wonderful. Uh, when I was walking around, I just had my mouth open and couldn't close. It's looking at the transformation uh, of the church and all the construction projects that are so ambitious, the, all the renovations at the multipurpose center. Now, the function center, they call it, the fellowship hall is in the past uh, and with uh, the complete transformation of that hall which is so wonderful uh, the pastor's offices everything is becoming so modern so vibrant uh, there are great structural changes in this church there's a unification of uh, all the teams and uh, this church is bound to grow and, and face a lot of challenges of the future uh, with boldness and courage so God bless you, my precious Avondale Memorial Church family, you are wonderful, wonderful to belong to, and may God prosper you abundantly. Before I preach, I would like to say another word of prayer with you. Dear Father, we want to thank you for the Bible, and we're praying that uh, we will be taught today directly from the Scriptures. And please bless the entire city of Lake Macquarie, and let the sacred gospel of Christ come to every home and reach every heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. My presentation is entitled, The Son of Paul. Let me first talk about the challenge. The great Kurenbong challenge. This town developed historically and prospered around Adventists' largest institutions in Australia. Avondale College of Higher Education, with its hope of becoming a university. The Sanitarium Food Company, which gave Adventism a great name in this, in this great country. Uh, in Melbourne, in the bigger megapolis, where not everybody knows who Adventists are, when people ask me, who are you? And I tell them, I'm an Adventist pastor. They ask me, what's that? And if I mention sanitarium, okay, I, we know what it is. We uh, eat wheat bix, we take this, we take that, we love up and go. And people immediately connect. So sanitarium, in a sense, is a beautiful evangelistic connection to reach out to the community. When you fly to Pontus Airways, you will have sanitarium food for breakfast. Uh, you take the retirement village, uh, a great haven, and uh, the biggest uh, team of prayer warriors in the country. Uh, in the retirement village, and those who are watching me on the screen, in the nursing home, in the lodge, and other places around uh, this uh, great town, you are a great team of prayer warriors. I realize that many of you are suffering from health issues and ailments of all sorts, but God placed you here together as a great team of hundreds of retirees to be the prayer partners and pray not only for Avondale Memorial Church, but also pray for the whole country of Australia so that this country will be saved when Jesus comes. Why don't we pray for the salvation of all Australians? Why don't we pray for the gospel to come into the heart of every secular or non-secular resident of this great land?
You are a great team of prayer warriors. At the same time, we are living in a very vibrant and dynamically developing society. We understand that people move. Businesses grow and go down. All, all sorts of things could happen to us here in this great township. We know that Sanitarium now relocated most of its production to Berkeley Vale, and, uh, and we know that uh, Sanitarium Food Company in uh, Kronbong is becoming history. Emmanuel College is now sitting on a very competitive educational market. And with the arrival of computer and online education, it's going to feel the modern pressures of educational challenges. We know that the retirement village will stand strong and, uh, because uh, I believe it will still remain a great and popular place to retire to in the clean uh, atmosphere of uh, Curran Bong with the beautiful and picturesque views of the mountains, clean air uh, saturated with great Curran Bong oxygen and... Uh, and all the good things, bellbirds singing so nicely, uh, an enjoyable climate overall. But still, there are many challenges. For decades, Adventism in Kurenbong relied on the prosperity and success of its institutions. But what if the institutions were to leave Kurenbong? What would happen to Adventists? Will you be reliant on the institutions or on something else. Let me suggest to you before we go to the son of Paul that today Avondale Memorial Church doesn't only, isn't only facing challenges but it also could see a great opportunity developing. The population of Kurenbong is forecast to quadruple in the next 10 years. We know that with all the new developments and housing construction, the population will be growing. Will Avondale Memorial be an institutionalized or institution-dependent church, or will it be a mission station for the community? The choice is yours. The choice is of everybody. Yeah, I believe there is a corporate responsibility of the entire Adventist community not to focus on the institution for its growth, but to take the Bible and a kind heart of a Christian and take it to a new arrival, to the new family which has just moved into this area and is looking for friends and connections. I believe there are countless opportunities and enormous, enormous potential for the church to grow and have an impact locally here in Kurenbong, and also internationally, having an enormous financial potential as well. So my brothers and sisters, there are challenges, but there are also opportunities. And I believe that right here in 2018, in, uh, in the 21st century, up and running, the church needs to grasp the vision, support its pastors, and grow for the glory of God. Of course, uh, it, it requires a comprehensive, systematic approach and wholehearted dedication of God's children. Let me suggest to you just one element in the great mosaic of successful methods and methodology. Let me talk to you today about the son of Paul. We'll talk about Timothy today. 
Now, my dear friends who are sitting up on the slides, I hope you have my slides. And I'm asking my precious son, Paul. Uh, Paul, I'm talking probably about your future son today. Uh, if you could go up to the slides room, because I don't have a remote control here to flick my slides. And uh, so I'll be waving at you, those in the box upstairs, and you'll be flicking my slides, all right? So if you could flick the first slides. We'll talk about the son of Paul. We are going to talk about his great disciple and student. And what was his name? Can you give me the name? Timothy, thank you. There were many uh, people whom Paul would consider his sons. But we are going to talk about Timothy. You just absolutely love being a young man and know that it's one of the best times in your life. So you're definitely not ready to get much older. You try to discover your own identity and interests. Yet every significant adult around you is attempting to mold you into some acceptable shape. Yet every significant adult around you, uh, I'm sorry, Christianity seems to be a way, but you are not yet ready to overgrow the rules and traditions. Looking out for freedom, you are struggling to find a place in society, be recognized by your peers, and be accepted for what and who you are. Coming to church today, what kind of sermon were you expecting to listen to? Today's sermon is designed especially for everyone, the younger generation and the older generation, because we are going to represent two generations in Paul and Timothy. We'll also talk about a young man who loved adventures, traveled overseas on his own, preached the gospel, called Apostle Paul his spiritual father, and having been released from jail where he spent time for the gospel with all his strength, ran through Asia and Greece to meet with Apostle Paul just a few days before the Apostle's execution in Rome. The young names was, as we mentioned previously, Timothy. Now let me go back to Avondale Memorial. When I and my family were spending our blessed times here for eight years, every time spring would come, uh, the nominating committee would start selecting the leaders of the church for the next year. And I had an honor and privilege to sit on eight of those committees in eight years. And uh, the nominating committee would always dream and be passionate about including as many young people as possible into the leadership team amongst the elders, deacons, deaconesses, Sabbath school teachers. It is always a desire that the young people would take over. At the same time, uh, there would be feedback. But the young people are often so unreliable. You give them jobs to do, they do it for a while, then they get disappointed, and they resign. So the reason why Avondale Memorial Church is so often run by the gray hair young people is because they're more reliable. And they have maybe a little bit more time. So how can there be a generational transition? And how can we provide more opportunities for the young people to take over and bring a lot of fresh blood 
and vibrancy and dynamics in the life of the church. Let's look at the young people. Um, many teenagers and many young people are telling us today, I am not unwilling to help. I'm not lazy. I'm just highly motivated not to do anything. Why is it so? It may be because teens and young people are disoriented in choosing their way among many ways of life. Parents may help or may cause a stumble. This is what teens observe. Parents, they say, spend the first part of our lives teaching us to walk and talk. And the rest of it telling us to sit down and shut up. Disoriented teens and young people often don't know what to do. Everything they try is just falling apart. And, they, and still they dream about something significant. As a kid, as a young man, Timothy ran and played throughout his childhood. And if you wish, you could uh, keep my slides rolling. Uh, by the way, let me tell you where my sermon is coming from. I very seldom borrow sermons. But today I borrowed my sermon from my son. In the middle of July, at Peckenham Church, when they had uh, the children's service, Paul was asked to preach a sermon. So he delivered this sermon to the Peckenham congregation. And I liked it so much, I said, Paul and Helen, who also helped a lot in, the, in creating this sermon, I said, can I borrow this from you guys and preach it on the 29th of September when we are at Avondale Memorial? So, Paul, I am greatly indebted to you, my, my precious son, and Helen, my darling one. Well, as a kid, Timothy ran and played throughout his childhood. Once he found out that his legs were getting longer and face became more like of his father. He remembered his father, a big Greek man with brown curly hair, green eyes joyfully shining from under two cheek thick eyebrows, and a perfectly straight Greek nose. Timothy missed these eyes. His father passed away recently from sickness, and a teenaged boy became very lonely. His mom, Eunice, and by the way, uh, my heart goes out to all who lost their loved ones during this year at Avondale Memorial, and Eunice, I miss your husband John a lot, and uh, Sandy, I miss your husband John Bryant a lot. I could continue the long list, but I'm thankful to Nina that she's sending me all the funeral notices so that I could pray on my knees and ask the Lord to comfort all who mourn and who are in tears. Well, his mom Eunice, who was now a widow, by birth was a Jewish woman. She knew the Old Testament promises of the new kingdom to come. Yet her marriage to a Greek and hardships of life made her doubt sometimes, when will God's kingdom come? Or will it come at all? And what? their future will be. The grandmother of Timothy, Lloyd, however, was not, a, not only knew the scriptures, but also had faith in God's promises. She often repeated those encouraging words for Timothy. She was his first model of faithful servant. From her, he learned to pray and to read. Grandmothers are very important 
in the spiritual development of their grandkids. Yet his knowledge for a while remained with no purpose. The time had come when he was to be conveyed from the hands of his mother into the hands of a man to learn and to copy his father's behavior. He had to learn to work of, uh, of his father, yet he had no father with him anymore. When a teenager or a young man has no purpose in life, he tends to just do nothing. In his bed, time, in his bed, his or her imaginations uh, would draw, would draw the, uh, the pictures of their perfect and successful future. When I was a teenager, I was dreaming many dreams of what my successful future will be. When he wakes up, he does not know what to start with. That is how Timothy looked like before he met the apostle. And he met him at the very right time. The apostle Paul went to Lystra, where Timothy lived, during his first missionary journey. Persecuted in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra. Here Paul preached, and at the end of his sermon, he healed the crippled men in the eyes of a multitude. People were astonished and called him Zeus. You remember when Paul was deified. They attempted to bring a sacrifice to Paul. Timothy watched and wondered, will the one who preaches the only true God allow himself to be worshipped? Yet Paul rejected worship. He is so great and so meek at the same time, thought Timothy about Paul. Now I can see that he does truly believe in God, who, whom he is preaching. Since that time, Paul became Timothy's hero. The boy went after Paul everywhere, watching him in words and in actions. At his bedtime, Timothy dreamed of the same great purpose in life. It is fair to say that the apostle noted that he had won this boy's attention. What is he to do now? Would the apostle deal with a teenager? In addition to that, Paul had never been a father to anyone. He was single and lonely. He had previously chosen his, uh, his way of life with a purpose to dedicate 100% of his time serving God. What was he to do with this boy whose big eyes revealed his desperate need for a belonging? Paul found out that Timothy had no father and felt compassion in his heart. But he could not find a place for him in his busy gospel preaching life. My task is to preach and not to nurture children. Paul was repeating to himself, trying to calm down his heart, stirred up by empathy to the boy. My job is dangerous. I am not sure what the next day will bring. And soon the events proved his reasoning to be true. Paul's sermon in Lystra was very successful until the Jews from Iconium spread gossips against Paul. Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the people, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was, what, 
that he was dead. Imagine the grief of Timothy. He had just found a hero, a figure that inspired him so much. And behold, another loss took place. It was so frustrating. In, in tears, Timothy runs outside of the city to the place where Paul's chilling body is thrown out into the dust. And what does he see there? Let's look at verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, about him he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Paul was alive. And Timothy thought in his mind, is he a superman to have survived stoning? Is he indestructible, this little Paul? Paul seems to have risen like a terminator from the last movie. He was in bruises all around. The only difference was that he was smiling and kept blessing people instead of cursing them. That was a character. That experience prompted Timothy to make a decision to dedicate to God his entire life, his heart. When Paul left for Derby, Timothy thought he would see him no more. Yet life finally made a significant turn. Paul kept coming back to Lystra, at once, uh, and once he came looking for a man, for a companion. He needed someone to accompany him for his next missionary journey. Let's look at Acts 16, verses 1 to 3. And he came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. He was well, what? Spoken of by the brethren at Lystra and Iconium. I love one young man in this church. I'm sorry, uh, Jaden, if I mention you by name, but I still remember when I was inviting our church for our first letterboxing campaign for an evangelistic program in 2010. You were just a kid. And when you came and you said, Vadim, I want to go with you. Can you take me? We have so many young people in this church who want to do the right thing, who want to save the lost. There is enormous potential here in the village church. Up to the time of Paul's return to Lystra, uh, Timothy became a trustworthy young man. He proved himself to be reliable. He learned the scriptures by heart and made his first attempts in preaching the gospel. Paul looked at the young man with sympathy. The Bible says, verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him. Thus lonely Paul became a spiritual father for Timothy. He taught him to preach, to baptize, to nurture new converts, to originate the churches. He made Timothy the youngest bishop ever when he entrusted to his care the church at Ephesus, his, one of his best communities of believers. Despite the hardships of their missionary journeys, Timothy loved the work of gospel proclamation, learned more, and was looking for better results, which followed the apostles' instruction. Paul kept sending his letters to him. We have just two of those letters which came to our days. The first Timothy was written to establish him in his work as a bishop. Let us look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 to 15. Paul says, 
Let no one do what? Can you read it for me? Despise your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Till I come, attend to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophetic utterance when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Practice these duties, devote, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Paul is a loving and caring mentor. And Timothy is an attentive, obedient, and hardworking student. In the New Testament, we also find the second letter to Timothy, where uh, Paul uh, wrote uh, to his disciple in view of his coming martyrdom in Rome. Paul real is realizing that his days are numbered. Expecting the execution and observing many of his friends fearing and leaving him, Paul pours his heart out to Timothy as he writes to him as his spiritual son. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. As for you, he says, always be steady, endure suffering, let the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. For I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. Someone may find today in the 21st century Timothy's life lacking of fun, joyful parties, foolish jokes over the classmates, and etc. Some may still wonder what benefit Timothy had by sacrificing the, his best years, his, the best of his life, in service to others. However, if you track this story fairly, it will bring us to Timothy becoming a successful man. Let us compare this to ourselves. Let's look at teenagers and young people today. Today they live with very little positive affirmation from their parents. They are suffering from peer pressure. They're learning to live from the internet and television with very little emphasis of moral values and excellences. I'm quoting from top ten problems and issues teenagers face. Let me repeat it. The teens today live with very little positive affirmation from parents, peer pressure, learning to live from the internet and television, with no emphasis on moral value or excellence. Timothy, however, found exactly everything that his youth needed. He had love, care, attention, nurture, mentorship. He had the best teacher of all time. Look at Paul's treatment of his son. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. He says, just listen to these things and just think of how we can borrow these words. Go across the road to the plus one community and to the young people who are sitting in our midst and repeat these words to them. He says to Timothy, my, what? True child in the faith. There's so much love and affection in these words. They don't need too much exegetical research to understand. My true child in the faith. Grace. Look at how much kindness there is in these words. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. Look at First Timothy 1 verses 18 and 19. This charge I commit to you, Timothy, my son. Oh, Timothy lost his father so early. 
But now he has someone who is like the dearest dad. In accordance with the prophetic utterances which pointed to you, that inspired by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Look at how he instructs him to resist the pressure. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. Share in suffering for the gospel in the power of God. Here talks to him about moral values. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the what? The commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a very mature, wise father for his spiritual son, Timothy. With all these, Timothy always had Paul's living example before his eyes. The story today, my brothers and sisters, is a challenge for everyone. Both those who represent Paul in the story, the senior generation, and Timothy, the younger generation. We are to make important choices and decisions in the, uh, in the next years to come if we want to excel and prosper as the church. Uh, my testimony is simple. The Lord loves me a lot. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, God was sending uh, one mentor and one spiritual dad after another to me. I still remember the first pastor who baptized me. I would come to his house often without warning. I would knock on the door, and he would never let me know, uh, let me down. He would never tell me that he was busy. He would also sometimes delay his appointments, sit down with me, and spend time with me. I was so lucky that the pastor who baptized me spent a lot of time answering my questions, praying with me, and paying me a lot of attention. I received so much love and warmth from the man. I remember for the first time the first evangelist I worked with. It was in 1993 when I was sent to a city of Togliati, a city named after the Italian revolutionary which makes the Russian Lada cars. I was invited to be an interpreter for the American evangelist. But because I never interpreted before, never translated for an evangelist, I had some grasp of English. Uh, I needed help. And he was so caring. That American evangelist, his name is Ron Priest from the Washington Conference, he would spend three to four hours studying his lectures with me, helping me understand what he was going to do on the stage, so that in the evening when he would preach, I would translate properly. He spent a month with me. And at the end of that month, he learned that I was going to the seminary to study to be a minister. And he and his team made a collection and, made, and paid for the first year of my tuition as a theology student. I couldn't hold my tears because I knew that there were people who loved and cared who provided for my needs and also gave me a living example of a loving and powerful evangelist. I still remember when I was standing with him on the stage. I was only a young man of 17. And he made the first altar call. There were 800 people in the auditorium. And he made an altar call and asked the people to come forward to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I remember when 600 people came forward on the stage. I remember his tears when he asked people to raise their hands if they, were want, if they wanted to get baptized. And over 400 hands went to the skies. 305 of them were baptized and a new church was planted. Later, 
I will never forget the youth leader of the Eurasian division who approached me as a young man when I was 18 and said, Vadim, you are going to run an evangelistic campaign in that city. I said, but I've never done this. He said, we believe in you. God is going to bless you. I spent 16 years working by the side of a very unique personality who has uh, all kinds of opinions as Australia, but he impacted me a lot. He put a lot into my development as a preacher, as an evangelist, as a pastor. His name is John Carter, the produce of Australia, Queensland in particular. I know that some people love John Carter, some people hate him, uh, but John Carter blessed my life by nurturing me and setting a living example of someone who wants to save and seek the lost. I was blessed by an array of Pauls, by a host of teachers who believed in me and who, and who really molded my life and made me who I am today. My brothers and sisters, my precious Avondale Memorial Church family, God entrusted into our hands dozens and even hundreds of Timothys. And today we have a challenge to do something about that. As the young people, they need a living example of the older Christians. They need our warmth, kind words, love, and warm embrace. Every one of us today has his or her own unique life story, similar to, the, to that of Timothy. We have a host of missionaries who are retired today, and I think you could also recollect the time when someone believed in you. And today we are looking for the words as young people of affirmation, for support, for the adventures of the long, lifelong Christian journey. And as a challenge for us, for the young people, we need to be more seriously committed to the Gospel Commission by letting Jesus shine in our lives. Amen.